We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. I am excited for part three of our study into the lion's den, a study of Daniel. We're not getting to the lion's den quite yet today, but we are going to look at the fiery furnace, fiery furnace. In a matter of a couple chapters, Daniel has two of the greatest biblical stories uh, of all time. It's a really powerful book, and I would encourage you at some point, if you're looking for something to study as you read daily, to go through the book of Daniel, because there are so many more chapters after what it is that we're going to cover. Uh, in the future, I maybe will do a part two of this series, and we'll look at the rest of those, because it is a, uh, it's an intense book, but it's also a very formative book, and so I would encourage you to get in there and read that. Before we get started, I did want to plug just a couple things. I know that we had a ton of announcements, but first and foremost, please, 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 if you are a member of Crosspoint Fellowship, stay for our business meeting. We will try to keep it as short as possible. As David said, we can't make any type of promise or guess on the time limit because it all depends on the questions being asked and the time that it takes to answer. But this is something that is important to the future of our church. As you all know, or maybe you don't know, next Sunday is Promotion Sunday. So if you've got a kiddo that's moving kind of to that next stage of life, uh, they're going to be promoted to that next classroom. And we have three youth that are going to be in youth. And for the foreseeable future, every year, our youth group is going to consistently grow from the inside out, which is, I think, a really great thing, you know? And so uh, it's important that we get the right person in that position. I firmly believe, and our elders believe, that Shane and Star are those people. And so I want you to get a chance to meet them and talk with them and ask them questions and get to know about their thoughts as far as uh, youth ministry and what it is they're trying to do with your kiddos. And um, I feel like we are very blessed to be in a position to have them want this position. And so please stay, if for no other reason, just to support them and their journey forward, okay? The next thing, I'm going to reiterate, fantasy football, two weeks. If you want to play, this is not as important, but it's why it's, why it's going second, right? Fantasy football, if you want to play, let Heath or I know uh, apparently I'm a commissioner of the league this year, which means I'm going to give myself the first pick and it's going to go well. Hey, you can boo me all you want, but somebody standing on the stage was a winner last year. It's this guy. Okay. So take that. And, uh, we'll hand out those trophies again for the winner. And if you didn't see it last year's last place, got a trophy that had a golden toilet on it. Uh, and, uh, she, Laura Kincaid has got to keep that in her house year round. So uh, we look forward to passing the torch on those. It always is a great time of fun and fellowship. And if you like football at all, come try it out, even if you've never done it before. Okay. With all that being said, I just wanted to kind of reiterate those things and, and keep them fresh in your mind. But I am excited to dive into scripture today. We are going to be in chapter three. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible or on your app, you can also follow along uh, everything up on the screen. Uh, we are going to be kind of verse 6 through 23, but I need to paraphrase what happens before that. So I'm going to refer to King Nebuchadnezzar as Neb because I don't want to say that whole name over and over and over again. So what happens at the beginning of this book is Neb sets up this statue and it is an impressive statue. It gives you the old measurements. It's like 60 cubits by whatever cubits. And basically what you need to know is it was 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. And the entire thing was gold plated. So not solid gold, because that would have been pretty impossible to move, but it was real gold on the outside. And he decides to put this statue up in a plain called Horeb, right? The plain, the plain. So what do you know about a plain? You've driven through Kansas probably in your life. It is flat. You can see it feels like forever. And as you're looking out over this plain and seeing forever, there is this giant, golden, magnificent thing 
flashing in the sunlight. Okay? And so this thing was like, whoa, what is that? We've got to go look at it. We need to see it. Neb set it up as kind of this connection between religion in Babylon and politics in Babylon. He wanted to intertwine both things. And so to celebrate, what he does is he brings out all the government officials, like high but lower level, not the highest of highs, because we really don't think Daniel was there and he was like up there in the kingdom, but a lot of government officials. And he basically set up this thing where he said, hey, if you hear a gong, you hear a leer, you hear the signal, you hit your knees and you worship the statue no matter where you're at. That was the expectation. And he also said, if, you, if anybody doesn't do it, if anybody doesn't do it, we're going to throw them into a fiery furnace. Now, as we've already learned about Neb so far in our study of Daniel, when he makes a threat, he's serious about it, okay? He's got some anger issues. He's not playing around. It's not like I might do this. I may decide not to. He's going to do it. He's the king. You do what the king says, or he gets mad, and it's game over, Okay? Now, this thing would have, as I said about the statue, would have stuck out. It would have been inspiring. It was a rallying point for the kingdom. And um, he brought these eight classes, a, a lot of officials, a lot of officials. And in four through six, he gives that command that we just talked about. And then in verses six and seven, we get these words. I'm going to reiterate the threat, but I'm going to quote him directly. It says, and whoever does not fall down to worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, right? So he brings them out. He makes the threat. Everybody realizes who they're dealing with. Music sounds. They all hit it. They all hit it. These were the expectations set forth by the king. Do it or die. Do it or die. So it continues in chapter 3, verse 8. And it says, therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What do we learn from this situation in this scenario? Oftentimes, doing things that are right by God means doing things we are ordered not to do. On the flip side, it can also mean not doing things we have been ordered to do. So there's both sides of that coin. It's about choosing godly action over something that would really be a spit in God's face. And this is what persecution looks like. It's animosity. The word which translates in our passage here to maliciously accused literally means, in the original language, to tear into pieces, to rip apart, to destroy. The Chaldeans desire to rip these men apart, and it's, 
its goal of murdering them was built in jealousy. It was built in jealousy. These men, as we learned last week, were found to have desirable traits. Remember, they were 10 times better than all the rest. 10 times better than all the rest. And they were therefore put into this position of authority. Well, it angered these Chaldeans, as they're referred to, because they didn't want any non-Babylonians making decisions for Babylon. This isn't even their country. We brought them here. They should be our prisoners. And here you are, king. You've put them in a position of authority. Now, they won't say that to Neb's face. Neb scares them. They're not going to dare question what he did or the decision that he made, but understand that that is the motive for their actions. And all of us have felt this before. If you have been in a workplace for any amount of time, you have been on one or two sides of this coin. You have either been the employee that's like, I don't know why that knucklehead got the promotion, right? Like, he can't even tie his shoes. Literally, I had to tie his shoes for him yesterday, right? Or you're the person that's been put in that position, and you've been put in that position for a reason, right? And you've got all this hate coming at you that makes it hard to do your job and to do it well because everyone who's jealous of the promotion that you received is trying to find ways to rip you apart, to tear you down, to catch you in something that would have you lose that position of authority and that position of power. What I find interesting about this story is that the same thing that put them in their place of authority, holding true to the word of God and honoring their God, is the same thing that puts them in danger in this instance. It wasn't too long ago that saying, hey, we're not going to eat that, brought them a gift from God of wisdom and knowledge and discernment and all these things and put them in this place of authority and power because they were 10 times better than all the rest who tried to do their job. It wasn't that long ago that that was the case. But here we have them saying, we are going to continue with the same mindset to put our God first and it's about to cost them absolutely everything. It's going to cost them absolutely everything. Continuing in verse 13, it says, The Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, angry, I'm mad, right? Commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar answered them and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I'm imagining that's how he kind of said it. Probably more angry, actually. That you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up, Now, if you're ready, he's going to give him a shot. Now, this is one of those things. Like, we always talked about Nebuchadnezzar, the threat. The minute he says it, he means it. But if you look, he kind of knows the commodity he's dealing with. Because he remembers not too long ago, these guys are ten times better than everybody else I have. So he's like, I'm going to give you this shot. Now, if you're ready, maybe last time you missed it. Okay? You missed it. You didn't hear it. I understand. You didn't hear it. You were talking. You missed it. Here's your second chance. So now... When you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. If you'll do it now, here's chance number two. If you'll do it, everything's fine. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? I'm the king. I got the power. 
Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Neb, <laughs> we have no need to answer you in this matter. Can you imagine? We talked about his anger issues. Can you imagine how like angry, how quickly he got angry? What's that movie, Inside Out? You ever seen Inside Out? If you haven't, it's a kid's movie that ultimately is just very depressing. But <laughs> it's got a great message, I think. So basically, in the movie Inside Out, there's like these five little spirity thingies that like live in a person's brain, and one of them's like joy, and one of them's sadness, and then one is anger. And the anger guy goes from like not angry to angry and explosive in no time flat. This is Nebuchadnezzar. He just had the one dude. He didn't have anything else. He had the anger. Do what I say or anger, right? That's what it was. And so they're like, he's trying to give him the second chance and he's being nicer than he's ever been. I'm sure everybody in the courts looking at him like, what? You're going to give him a second chance? And he's like, if you'll just do it, everything will be good. And they're like, we're not going to answer you. What? Are you kidding me? We have no need to answer you. Oh, Neb, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Verse 17, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They are in this situation because of their unwavering faith in God. They could have been up in arms. They could have said, God, this is how you repay us. You're going to have us cast into the fiery furnace. They could have been nervous. They could have questioned. There's no pause in their response. They didn't say, can you give us like five minutes and let us talk amongst ourselves? Can we just rethink this? There was no second guessing whatsoever. We will do what is right by God. We will do what is right by God. How they approached this situation was with the spirit of Matthew 5, 11 through 13, which tells us, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What the world intends for our downfall, God uses as another opportunity to show victory. We've been talking about that for a while, but isn't that cool? I mean, it's just pretty cool. What the world intends to destroy us, God uses us to make us the victor. We have to be willing to lose all that we have gained for what is right. We have to be willing to lose all that we have gained for what is right. Status, positions, providence, our pay, notoriety. Are you willing? Are you willing to say, this does not align with my faith? This does not align with what my God teaches, and so I can't do it. And if you fire me, you fire me. If I lose my job, I lose my job. If my paycheck isn't coming next week, it's not coming next week. And that's hard. I mean, I brought it up, I feel like, the last couple of weeks because you tell how hard it's been. But inflation's a thing, right? Inflation's tough right now. It's one thing to do it when, like, economy's great and everything's cheap and, like, you can fill up your car for less than 50 bucks and, like, 
You know, milk doesn't cost you your left finger, ring finger, right? Like, it's, it's one thing to do it then. It's another thing to do it now when missing a check means not making payments, right? Are we, as followers of Jesus Christ, and are we, as followers of God the Father, willing to lose everything in order to be in right standing with God? That's a tough decision to make, but that's what being a mature Christian looks like. It's getting to that place of saying, if we're put in this terrible situation, our God will deliver us, but even if He doesn't, even if He doesn't, we still are not going to make the wrong choice. We must be willing to go from being praised to pariah. We must be willing to go from being praised to pariah, to being an outcast, to losing everything. If you had to, this is the time for self-introspection, to really think about this. If you had to, in order to be aligned with the will of God, would you give away the blessing that he has bestowed upon you? Would you do it? And if you can be honest with yourself, and the honest answer to that question is, no, I don't think I would. What does that say about your relationship with God? What does that say about the strength of your faith? What does that say about your desire to give Him complete and total control? Can you say, I believe that God will deliver me, but even if He doesn't, even if He doesn't, I'll take whatever the outcome may be. That is where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were. Neb, we have no reason to answer you in this matter. We're not going to do what you want us to do because it goes against our God. And the outcome is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar has shown us the outcome would be. Verse 19 through 23 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, in their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated. The flame, this is how hot it was. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. See, Neb, angry, little red guy, big explosion, makes the fire extra fiery. We're going to make this thing super hot. This is the difference between like a cold McDonald's cheeseburger and a flame-broiled Whopper right? Like this thing's going to have some toasty, crunchy edges. So hot that the guys are like, I guess we're taking them up there. Die. You ever open up an oven 
right? Not thinking, like you got the thing on 400, you're making, t- I don't know what you make at that, the toast, pizza, something hot. You like bend over, you open the oven, and it's just like, Whoa! and you're like, oh! like seven times. People dying just by being in the presence of the fire. And not only does he make the fire extra fiery, he makes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego extra flammable. It's not like he's like, strip him down, embarrass him, and then throw him in the fire. He's like, no, all the clothes they own, tie those things to him. Cover him in some hay. We're going to bind him up in some rope. The hay thing's not real. If you read this, I added that. All the clothes thing was real. He did bind him up too. He's like, I don't even want him to be able to try to jump out. Like, they're going to hit. They're going to be bound. They're not running anywhere. The ropes will catch on fire. The tunics will catch on fire. The hats will be on fire. They're going to be on fire. And he cast him into the fire. And that was that, right? That's the end of the story. Or is it? We're going to continue. We're going to continue this story next week. We're going to look at the outcome. We're going to see how big and bold and powerful and in control our God is. We're going to continue to look at the reward of faith in the face of fire. We're going to see the magnificence of our God. And I got to tell you guys, as we study that next week, We're all here, so none of us have actually ever been tossed into a physical fiery furnace. But man, we walk through the flames. We walk through the flames sometimes on a daily basis. And we're still walking. We're still here. We read stories like this and we think, how can it be? At least I do. It doesn't make sense. It's just not logical. And the only thing I can attribute it to is that there is a miraculous God who is bigger than I am and does things in ways that I can't comprehend. But I see miracles every day. I see miracles every day. I see that single mom working the third job to get the food on the table. I see the drug addict finally hit rock bottom and reach out for help. I see people not know how they're going to pay their bills, make ends meet. We see forest fires put out by rain. And we attribute these things to maybe just the natural order of things. It's just what happens. It just happens. But as Christians, we should know better. There is a good and loving God who gives us grace and mercy in moments when we need it most. That is the God we serve. So if you didn't catch my sarcasm at the end of the sermon, this isn't where the story ends. Actually, just the beginning. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now and I thank you for this day and I thank you for the fact that you are a big, big God who can do big, big things. And God, sometimes the things that you do are so far out of our comprehension that we can't even begin to approach 
your throne with any type of understanding. But I know in my life, God, I have tested you. And I have seen the goodness of God. I have experienced mercy and grace and salvation. And I deserve none of it. But you are a God who promises to have our back. You are a God that promises deliverance. And God is a statement of faith. I stand here before all these people and I say I believe it is so. Our God is bigger. Our God is stronger. Our God is working on our behalf. And it may take years to understand. It may take decades for us to comprehend. But God, you are working all things together for the good of those who love you. And to love you is to obey you, is to follow you, is to do what you say even when it makes us uncomfortable. Give us the courage. Give us the courage to live every day knowing that we are in your hands and that being in your hands is the best place to be. We ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Stand up. Stand up. We're going to worship. Let's worship. If you need to pray, come pray. Use our stage as an altar. Come pray with me. I would love to pray with you this morning. Okay? It would be one of my greatest honors. And I don't just say that lightly. I mean that. I mean that. You need to pray with somebody. Come pray with me. I would love to pray with you no matter what we're praying about. Okay? If you need to have a relationship with Jesus today, I tell you this. I feel like almost every week, but I'm going to say it again. There's no greater decision that I think that you can make than to follow Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And we can get into the depths and we can talk about what that really means, but if you haven't made that choice, if you haven't made that decision, then you need to do that today. Because there's no time to waste. Sure, right now, we're, we're well. We're in positions of power. But tomorrow, we might be facing that furnace. Don't hesitate. Let's worship. Let's give God his due.